This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Happy Mother's Day. Oh, Mother's Day. Oh, Mother's Day. Scissors and Scrubs here, celebrating a third Mother's Day on the wow. I know, can you believe it? No. <laughs> I'm Nicole. I'm Lara. And this Mother's Day, we decided to cover um, older moms and the struggles, they, the yeah. struggles they have getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we get some fucking old moms on this because you wait till I whip out some some of the shit I got. I'm reading this. I'm like, why? Who thought this was a good I, idea? Yeah. Okay. But before we kick off mm-hmm. everything, I'm going to start this off for Ben because it's Mother's Day and this might be a nice gift you can give to your mother. Okay. Because it's... um. A little tidbit of how the chainsaw came invented. What does the chainsaw have to do with Mother's Day, Laura? Let me tell you about the chainsaw has to do with Mother's Day. In 1780, Mm -hmm. uh, two surgeons invented a chainsaw. Mm -hmm. This was to help with the removal of the pelvic bone and make (gasps) it easier and less time-consuming during childbirth. They just sawed off Mm -hmm. your pelvis. They would... It was powered by a hand crank, and it looked like a modern-day kitchen knife with little teeth on a chain that wound in an oval. Oh. Yeah. Ring, ding, 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 ding. Here we come. Oh, my God. <laughs> Could you fucking imagine? I'm just going to saw through your pelvic bone. You're not going to need that again to walk. So, yep. What? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Was it only used for, like, difficult I'm, births? I'm going like, to show you a picture. baby got stuck? Uh, where's the picture? I had a picture of it. Who would oh, get yep, pregnant? There it is. There's a picture of it. Um, it is disgusting. So Why he's are you like, cutting my pelvic bone? So he says to me, he goes, um, you know why the chainsaw was invented, right? I'm like, um, to cut down trees? sequoia trees? I don't know. He's like, no, for childbirth. I'm like, what? That's, I said, you're making that shit up. He goes, I swear to God. I swear. So he looks it up. Two doctors invented the chainsaw in 1780 to make the removal of the pelvic bone easier and less time consuming during childbirth. It was soon used for other bone cutting operations and amputations in the surgical room. I mean, we Boom. use saws, but I don't. But why are you removing the pelvic bone mm, to make that baby's head come out? Oh so God. that's how we're kicking off Lovely. the Mother's Day episode. Okay, Happy Go Mother's ahead, Day, Laura. Thank you. It's we're a little early for Mother's Day. I know it's not for another two weeks, but we decided to do it before Mother's Day than after mm-hmm. Mother's Day because mm-hmm. that would be stupid. We don't want to miss you. So we're going to talk about advanced maternal age. First. Okay. Now, when I had Garrett, I was convi- considered a mother of advanced maternal age. Oh, um, only. Yes. Any mother over the age of 35 is considered a mother of advanced maternal age. You know, women are having careers first. Mm-hmm. They want to get educated. They want to do everything. And then they want to have their babies. Mm-hmm. And they're having them later, later and later. All my friends are advanced maternal and age. later in life, yes. But when you decide to have children later in life, because we... Take everything about society out of it, and you get strictly to biologic. Women are meant to have babies young. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why you get your period at nine to fourteen years mm-hmm. old because your body is ready to have babies young. Because as you get older, it gets harder. So you have risks that come with advanced maternal age. Not that we're suggesting people have babies at fourteen. At fourteen, <laughs> but in the realm of biology, yes. strictly speaking, you're meant to have babies young. Because babies suck the life energy out of they you. They really like that. And you need to be young to chase them around. And you need to be young to do be up all fucking night with a crying baby. <laughs> so um, it's harder to do it when you're 40. So when you're over the age of 35, it can take longer to get pregnant. You're born with a certain amount of eggs in your mm-hmm. little tiny basket. And over 35, these eggs start to get old. Or as my son says, you're old. <laughs> old and they decrease in the quality and quantity Mm. so you get an old nasty shriveled up egg Mm -hmm. coming out Mm -hmm. they also um they get cranky your eggs get cranky so they kind of hide from the sperm they don't like to fertilize i'm fucking 40 i don't i'm over this (laughs) i'm done i'm the old eggs you should hit the new eggs okay so if after 35, it's taking longer than six months to get pregnant the good old-fashioned way Mm -hmm. you go and you consult your md so, your second risk is you have um, the risk of multiple births because mm-hmm. your body's getting rid of it because you're getting close to menopause now. They're dumping. They're, sh- they're yeah. shooting eggs. Shooting eggs left and right. You're, I mean, you're just fucking... Eggs are going out every mm-hmm. month. So, um, it's because hormonal changes are causing the release of multiple eggs at once. We're empty in the basket. Mm-hmm. 
So if you're going through IVS, IVF, you're going to risk multiple births, which it's hard enough having one kid over mm-hmm. 35. You don't want two or three because now you're really going to be fucking tired. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I mean, some people do. They do, but, you know, they have nannies. It's a lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. <clears throat> I couldn't handle I look at people with twins. God bless them. I don't. I, it would break me. Twins would break me. Well, my nephews are twins and they were like, you know, they'd be doing something and I mean, they're adorable. Like twins are adorable and whatever they'd be doing. Like if my kids were doing, I'd be, I'd yell at them, but because it was the two of them, you'd laugh because right. it was just funnier that two of them would be in fresh and then everyone would be laughing. I'd be like, you are so screwed when they get older because it, everybody just laughs. They do something fresh. You're like, oh, and so you watch one, one does something stupid and the other one follows right behind and does it too. Like yeah. we watch our girlfriend's twins, like one starts eating rocks and the other one's like, ha, 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 me too. It starts eating rocks. They're like, what the fuck? Okay. All right. So number three, you're at a greater risk of gestational diabetes. Mm-hmm. Gestational diabetes is a type of diabetes that only occurs Yeah, my infamous page flip during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It can increase your risk of type two diabetes later in life. Risk factors for gestational diabetes are obesity, lack of physical activity, previous gestational diabetes, polycystic ovary syndrome, Hmm. having a diabetic family member, which Hmm. I have many, or you have had a baby over nine pounds previously. That's when the chainsaw is coming out. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. My friend Marianne, we were just talking about this last night, has had gestational diabetes, but just with her first one. And it's weird because it's like usually like oh, like had it with the first one. No, she was big, um, and about ten. All her kids were about ten. Um, but then she didn't have it with the second two. And her last one was the biggest baby. Like it's just so weird. I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like you're supposed to like forget it. Usually yeah. have it again and whatever. Yeah. But and her youngest, her son was the like I think ten three. She's oh my god, she had more vaginally. I don't remember. I mean, if she just blinks too hard, she's going to wet her pants. That's gross. Okay. Big kids. Complications. If you have gestational diabetes, you have huge fucking babies. Mm -hmm. Because now the baby's like, I don't know if it's the hormone. Something makes these babies huge Mm -hmm. when you have gestational diabetes. Uh, You're talking like 12, 13 pound babies. They can be gigantic. Little fatties. They're the cutest little things, but they're so fat. Um, You can have a preemie. The baby can be in respiratory distress. It will have breathing issues because of the gestational diabetes. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the baby's so used to having high blood sugar in the womb that when you deliver the baby and it's no longer getting um, nutrients from the placenta, it drops its um, sugar sure. real quick. So you can have, you have a risk for low sugar. And then you also have a risk for obesity later in life for the kid or risk of a stillborn. So. You don't want gestational diabetes. Yeah. That's when you go and you're, you're pregnant and they give you that nasty ass drink. So we Again, we were just talking about this last night. I loved that drink. Oh, I was I like, give it. it to me. It's orange it's soda with extra sugar. Sugar, exactly. Orange soda with extra sugar. It, to me, it was like. What is nasty um, about that? Do you remember Zarex as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. It was like drinking the Zarex mix. I don't understand what that. It was disgusting. And they were like, here you go. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to chug it. It was like when I was in college. I'm like, gung, 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 just sucking down this fucking sugary drink that was disgusting we were literally just we're like why do people complain about that it's so delicious oh it's so sweet so it hurts my teeth thinking about it so good all right you're also uh at a risk of developing high blood pressure during pregnancy or or eclampsia preeclampsia eclampsia we can get into that later i didn't i don't know why i just totally brushed over eclampsia because i don't know i didn't feel like talking about it (laughs) so we'll talk about that maybe next mother's day it's it's risk yes it's a risk okay it has to do with your blood pressure you have a risk of a preemie and low birth weight baby. You have a high risk of needing a C-section. You have a high risk of chromosome defects like Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. You have a high risk of losing the pregnancy. So, if you decide to have a babe later in life, make some healthy choices, Laura. Mm-hmm. I know you're thinking again. I know <laughs> yeah, you and Mike have decided, you know, now that you're older, you really want to have another one. That, you know, yeah. you don't want that empty nest. So, no, make healthy choices, okay? Mm-hmm. Look into lifestyle changes to have a healthy baby in pregnancy. Go for regular prenatal care. Mm-hmm. Eat a healthy diet. Because mm. some women get pregnant and they think all bets are off and they eat whatever the fuck they want. But just remember, most of that's not going to be baby weight. Yeah. And you're going to have to take it all off on the other end. And now and the older you are, <laughs> the older you are, the harder that is. All right. Gain weight wisely. Mm-hmm. Stay active. Avoid tobacco, drugs, and alcohol. And test chromosomal 
abnormalities. Mm -hmm. So I have a list of the 10 oldest women with natural pregnancy. Natural. Well, so they claim to have right. natural. Okay. But then we're going to get into the oldest ones, no, not no. natural. All right. So I take up a little bit here. So the first woman to have a baby naturally at the age of 54 that we're going to discuss, Bridget Nielsen, naturally got pregnant. Really? Yes. At 54 years old with her 39-year-old partner. She got pregnant. She got pregnant. At um, 54. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have my period at 54. I know. It's her fifth child, but her first daughter. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. She was known for her looks. Still looks amazing in her 50s. Debatable. Mm -hmm. And has remained very healthy over the years. That helped her give birth to a healthy baby girl. She's been married five times. You know, wow. including to Sylvester Stallone. Mm. Gianni Nanini. Mm-hmm. Gianni Nanini, what year did you have your baby? How old were you, love? You are 54 years old as well. She is from Italy. She's some kind of photographer mm -hmm. with an unnamed partner of an unspecific age. Mm -hmm. She had a natural baby at 54. Oh my God. But she was taking hormone pills at the time, but she did not get any fertility treatments. Mm. 54 years old. I'm good. Thank you very much. Arciela Garcia, 54 years old, out of Sunnyside, Washington, D.C. Again, they didn't talk about the husband. So she not only had babies in her 50s, she has triplets at the age of 54. Fucking triplets. Naturally. That's what it says. She was also the mother of eight children and 13 grandchildren and had two more on the way after the triplets were born. She looks like somebody's grandmother with well, her she children. Is. Okay. Uh, she found out she was pregnant after she went to the doctor feeling tired all the time. You think after eight fucking children, she know what that means. Yeah. And the doctor who delivered Garcia's triplets said that she had never heard of a 50-year-old, 54-year-old woman giving birth to triplets. Holy moly. I bet you she's wicked Catholic. Oh, all my right. God. Mm -hmm. And wicked tired. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Because then you get 13 grandkids, you know, the other kids are dumping off on you. Oh. Kathleen Campbell, she was 55 years and four months and 19 days when she oh, gave birth. Very specific. With her 65-year-old husband. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 1987. He's retiring. <laughs> no, he's retired. Yeah. That's why they had all the time to have sex. Oh. So he was known for being, she was known for being the oldest British mother. She was 55 years old when she gave birth to a baby boy in 1987. She had already had six children ranging in ages from 16 to 22. She was not only a mother for the seventh time, she was also a grandmother. I'm good. Um, she was worried about blood pressure because she was 240 pounds at the time of her of the birth. Raisa Akmadieva. Hey, I thought that was pretty good, huh? That was a good job. All right. She is 56 years old, natural birth. She lives in Rushka, Russia, and she gave birth to a baby that was naturally conceived. It was her first child, healthy baby boy of five pounds, 12 ounces. He was little. The father already had three children by another marriage, but they wanted a child of their own. Let me tell you, if Brian dies and I meet some guy, I don't care if he's 25 years old, he wants kids, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Or I'm somebody else. Uh, I, I mean, not, not happening. I am good. Uh, Vera, no last name, yeah. 57 years old Holy from the Ukraine. Husband. 57 years old. Brian would shit if I came home right now. I was like, hey, guess what? I would be trolling the Tobin. I'd be looking to kill myself. Um, so nothing significant about her. She had a C-section. She had it. Her lifestyle allowed her to conceive a baby naturally. Mm, good for you. Nat Natalia Alexeevna. 57 years old. 1996. She looks like a grandmother, but the baby's awful goddamn cute. Uh, she gave birth to a baby daughter at 57 years old. She was conceived naturally. She did receive hormone th therapy replacement. Okay. Dawn Brooke, 59 years old. Oh, my Great Britain. God. Her husband's 64. Now, and you can look at her. She looks fucking great. Okay. She looks yeah, amazing. Yeah, she, yeah. All right. So, um, oh, they don't say much about her. I go right on to somebody in China. Where did that come from? Dawn Brooke. Yep. 64 years old. Okay. Um, they thought she had cancer when she was having, experiencing aches and pains while on vacation. She was so worried. She went home to Britain for tests. <laughs> Found out she was 16 weeks pregnant. Could you imagine? No. 
I, I mean, at, at I would 16? rather find out I was pregnant than had cancer, but not at that age. I would be like, how the fuck am I pregnant at 60? If I'm still getting my period at 60, That's what I'm, saying. I'm going to be bullshit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. These people still have their yeah. periods. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maria Rosario Venerusa. She's 61 years old. September 19th, 2016 in Venice. Nope. In Italy. She gives birth. Oh my God. She looks miserable in the pregnant in the picture. Can you see it? <laughs> Laying in bed. She's just like, this sucks. All right. So she, <laughs> she's a first time mother at the age of 61. She first time mother. First time oh mother. God. Seven pounds, seven ounce baby boy. Elia Francesco. I'm good. I'm good. The doctors can confirm that she conceived naturally, though people are very like, mm, really? Did you, though? Well, I mean, how'd you get all the way to 61 not conceiving and then 61? I know, and then all, it's, yeah. yeah. Well, you're dumping 400 eggs I at know, a time. But Jesus. I can't even know how I'm going to pronounce this. Jinju Tian. Good job. China. 67 <gasps> years old. No. 60 oldest mother delivering a child naturally That's in 2000. The kid's gonna grow up, and yeah. the mom's gonna. At her, the kid's high school graduation, she'll be eighty-six. If she's alive. If she's alive, exactly. Well, she's Chinese. People live forever, so she might be alive. Uh, she made international news when it was reported that she had given uh, birth to a healthy baby girl at the age of sixty-seven years old. Her husband, who was sixty-eight at the time, said that they conceived naturally. A more props to you. You're yeah. still having sex at 68 years old. Let's start there. B, how the hell you still have your period at 67? Well, that is the other thing. I would be going to the doctor and be like, okay, you need to distract yeah. me. Uh, to get, get this 50, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm not wearing done. tampons anymore. I'm just going to I'm gonna be like, ooh, pipic. I'm just going to bleed everywhere because I'm fucking <laughs> so like, done. Yep. Like, Never mind, Nicole, you get yours. Due to her advanced maternal age, she delivers a baby via C-section. She had already had two children. They were born in China before it implemented its one-child policy. So, um... There's no more reports on whether she survived her children or not. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I know I've got a lot going on here, but we're going to talk about some IVF. Um, women who, I mean, I could save it for after you. Save it I'm going to save it to after you. It's one woman. It's crazy because it's going to get into a little ethical question after IVF. So take it over to you, Sparkles, for okay. IVF. Well, I'm going to start with IUI. Um, and I got this information from healthlive.com. Um, IUI is intrauterine insemination. It's a fertility treatment where sperm is placed directly into a woman's uterus. In natural conception, sperm has to travel through the vagina and then up through the mm. cervix. Well, depends, on, depends on how big your partner Then it gets up into the <laughs> uterus. It's an and exhausting swim, trip. And swim and swim and swim and swim. It's exhausting. exhausting for these a lot of sperm. A lot of downfalls. Yeah. Um, in IUI, the sperm are washed. <laughs> no. Rubber ducky, you're the one. Then they're concentrated. <laughs> And they're placed. Think hard. Swim fast. Think hard. Yeah. They're placed right near the egg. They shoot it up there right where that egg is. I'm going to sit be. right there. Yeah. You don't have to do All anything. You just make friends. Concentrate. Just get You're over. clean. Yeah. Go talk to her. <laughs> um, it's pretty much, it's pretty non-invasive. It's way less expensive than IVF. Um, and it's frequently tried before trying IVF. Right. You can use sperm from a partner or from donor sperm. Um, IUI is commonly used in these um, types of scenarios. Unexplained infertility, mild endometriosis, issues with cervix or cervical mucus. Sometimes your cervical mucus really hates sperm. Just too damn thick. (laughs) And just doesn't let it through. Um, Low sperm count, decreased sperm mobility, issues with ejaculation or erections, same-sex couples, single women, um, all the single ladies, <laughs> all the single ladies <laughs> and couples not wanting to pass on genetic defects from the male partner. I thought you, for some reason, were going to say couples who don't want to have sex. Like, oh, well, that's then maybe, yeah. maybe that's not going to work. a baby, but I don't want to. <laughs> um, it's not effective in these kind of scenarios. It's not effective with moderate to se- severe endometriosis. Um, when there's no fallopian tubes or there's blocked tubes, cause then the egg mm-hmm. can't get down. Um, women with multiple past pelvic infections and men who produce no sperm. Obviously, you need the sperm mm-hmm. unless you're using a donor. Um, IUI can be done during your natural cycle, quote unquote. So you don't need hormone right. therapy or anything? When a woman ovulates naturally and 
has a sperm placed at the doctor's office around ovulation. No meds are necessary. So okay. they just track your ovulation. You go mm-hmm. in when you're ovulating. They shoot the sperm up and give it a whirl. <laughs> um, IUI they get a baster. <laughs> IUI can be combined with ovarian stimulation. So you can take drugs to help if you need to. There's um, Clomid, HCG, and FSH. They might be given to trigger the ovaries to mature and release an egg or a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get a better chance. Every doctor is different, but it usually goes like this. Um, <laughs> several office visits for blood work, ultrasounds, and medication instructions. They start um, taking the meds if prescribed while you have your period. Um, the week after starting your meds, you have another ultrasound and blood work. Um, and then using those test results, the doctor will determine when you'll be ovulating and when you and your partner should come back to the clinic. About ten, and It's usually about 10 to 16 days after starting mm-hmm. your meds. Mm-hmm. Um, the male partner will provide a sample the day of the IUI. <laughs> they get in dirty magazines yeah. in a dirty recliner in a little tiny room. <laughs> and you get to work. Um, and I if, used to work at an IV clinic, so I, I know exactly yeah. the room. I'm like, whoa. Want to open the door? <laughs> Whoa, it's so gross. Um, and if you're using donor sperm, it will be thawed that day. Mm-hmm. Um, sperm immediately is taken to the lab to be washed, which is a quote. Um, Why are they washing it? So the seminal fluid and like other debris is removed. Debris. I know. There's other junk in there. I'd like to know that I have a lot of debris floating around. You don't. Well, the guy does. You know, if you're with your husband, you're not using stuff. There's a lot of debris floating around. (laughs) So they remove the seminal fluid in the debris. um, So the sperm is super concentrated. There's there's nothing nothing in it but sperm. So help me God, nothing yeah. but sperm. Um, and it in like the seminal fluid and the other stuff can be irritating to the uterus. So if you're already having a hard time, right. it's just the sperm. Um, the woman lies on the just examining the tables. On the examining table, they have the stirrups. You know, you put your legs up in stirrups. Um, the doctor places a speculum to open the vagina and to visualize the cervix. Sperm will be inserted into the uterus in a long, thin tube. It's like a long, thin... It looks um, like a pipette. Pipette, thank you. Um... And then you'll lay there for like 10 to 30 minutes. Now, I know when I was telling one of our friends, like, she was trying to get pregnant. I'm like, well, you got to lay there. Like, put a pillow put under your, your bum. Up, yeah, put your legs up on the wall. Yeah. Well, I I would, I mean, if you just pull, put a pillow under your bum, it just tilts your yeah. pelvis. Like, what are you talking about? You have to, you have to lay there. You tilt your pelvis in. back. And then she's like, well, like oh, what do you think? They're just going to stay there? Like, you have to do, like, give it a little help. Yeah, didn't believe me. Um, <laughs> I thought it was like crazy. I'm like, I'm t- just do it. Just put yeah. a pillow under your bum. Um, you can have mild cramping or light vaginal bleeding. Some places do a second insemination the next day just to make sure. Um, sometimes you're given progesterone to take after the procedure um, through your early pregnancy just to help keep, keep the it, pregnancy. Keep um, two weeks later, you take a pregnancy test. Bum, bum, bum. Mm-hmm. Risks of IUI are overstimulation of the ovaries if you're taking these meds. Mm, which, which means multiple births. No. no? It can lead to... The wicked enlarged ovaries. Oh. Um, fluid builds up in the abdomen, the chest. Oh, you that's can have wicked bad. cramping, blood clots, kidney problems, oh. or the twisting of an ovary or an ovarian torsion, which I have seen from the drugs from IVF. So, I'm sorry, one of the new guys came up the other night and I'm like, which, which? he's like, I had to do a case. I'm like, well, what did you do? He goes, what did he say? An orc. An auk. I had to do an auk. I'm like, an orchiopexy, like a twisted, uh, an orc, you know, the twisted scrotum. He's like, no, no, the women. I'm like, an oof. You had to do, an, <laughs> you had to do an oof. I said, there's a big difference big between difference. an och and an oof. <laughs> he was like, oh, no, no, they're all the same to me. I'm like, no, well, nope, they're not well. all the same. Was it a dude or a girl? Like, which one? It was just so funny. He was like, uh, you know how he has that yeah. blank look in his face, an och. I'm like, no, no, wrong, no, wrong body pod, pal. <laughs> Um, they look like, oh my God, they get this whole syndrome and it's, that's terrible. This I've never poor heard girl of came in. Oh my God. Oh yeah. That's why they have a lot of pain. Cause their ovaries like huge and overstimulated. She came in. She was so uncomfortable. I wanted to cry for her. We went in with the scope. I was like, holy shit. I couldn't believe that they were her ovaries. They were that big. They were, huge. it, it hurt to look at them because it looked like they were ready to just blow up. Like it, they looked so, so painful. Um, well, one was twisted, so we untwisted it. 
and then um, nothing. I mean, they give them pain meds and stuff, but they just watch them. I don't mean, I guess if it was that bad, they would have to take them. That's but bad. It was, it was, it looked so painful. I could have cried for her. Um, IUI success rates decrease in women over at 40 and women with three unsuccessful cycles of IUI. So if you've already done this and it hasn't happened like two or three times, it's not gonna you're happen. going on to something IVF, else. Yeah. Um, the cost range for IUI is between 460 to $1,500, not including medication costs or additional tests. Mm-hmm. And it, but it may be covered by insurance. Yep. And insurance is now covering more a lot of the stuff, um, fertility stuff. Um, and then I did IVI. So if the IUI doesn't work, you get three unsuccessful attempts. So you have those, like, um, those um, problems that IUI doesn't work for. You go to IVF, which is in vitro fertilization. IVF combines medicine and surgical procedures to help sperm fertilize an egg and then help the fertilized egg implant in your uterus. So you have to have, IVI does both. It fertilizes your egg and it implants it. Um, Usually trying meds and IUI beforehand is the treatment. It's the most effective form of assisted reproductive technology. Okay. So this this is the way to go. This is usually work. And if something's going to work, this will. And I mean, I know people who've tried it for years before success so it's not like a quick fix it's something you're committed to financially emotionally it takes a long time it's and it's it's grueling yeah you have to really want it um success depends on age and cause of infertility ivf can be very expensive very time consuming and very invasive your life revolves around those cycles Cycles and appointments and Mm -hmm. shots and Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. It's a lot. Um, IVF can be the primary fertility treatment for women over 40, women with fallopian tube damage or blockage, ovulation disorders, endometriosis, uterine fibroids, impaired sperm production or function, unexplained infertility, um, chance of a genetic disorder being passed on. So again, they would use donor sperm Mm -hmm. for that. Um, Fertility preservation for cancer or other conditions. Risks of IVF are multiple births, are an, which causes an increased risk for the mother and mm-hmm. the babies. Um, a slight increase in the risk of premature delivery and low birth weight. Ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which is what we were just talking about. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, miscarriage, and that increases with the mother's age. Egg retrieval procedure complications. The So they use this aspirating needle to take the um, eggs out. Eggs out. It's very painful for what I hear. Yeah, and they could cause that could cause infection, bleeding, or damage to the bowel bladder. I mean, they're sticking a needle up inside you mm-hmm. that could hit something else other than what you're intending. Ectopic pregnancy can occur. It's um, about two to five percent of women having IVF will have an ectopic pregnancy, which means a pregnancy outside the, of your uterus. Right. Um, and and some most of the time, an ectopic is in the fallopian tube, mm-hmm. and then you've ruptured the tube, and now you're really going to have mm-hmm. even harder time. Um, birth defects, age of the mother is the primary risk factor, um, not how the baby was conceived. So it, they have an increased risk because a lot of times people getting IVF are a lot of uh, mature maternal age, advanced maternal, advanced age, maternal wow. age. And that just, that is what makes the risk of birth defects higher. Um, there's a possible increased in breast endometrial, endometrial, cervical or ovarian cancer due to the medications that are used to stimulate egg growth and stress. Yeah. There's a lot of stress involved in IVF. And even on a pregnancy on a woman that age. Right. This is under a lot of stress. Yeah. It's not ready for it. Yeah. And, well, and well, this is, I think they're talking about mental stress. Mm-hmm. No, this. I agree. Yeah. I agree. But there's all kinds of stress. Oh yeah. Um, before you start IVF, you and your partner will need testing. They'll do ovarian reserve testing, which determines the quantity and the quality of your eggs. They'll do semen analysis. They'll do infectious disease screening. They'll practice. They'll do a practice embryo transfer, and that determines the depth of the uterine cavity and the best techniques for a successful placement of embryos. So they like do it like a dry run. Mm-hmm. Like okay, this was <laughs> we're gonna go up this way and we're gonna stick it on over the side. Like make sure everything's all set. Um, right now we're doing it for real. Yeah, they'll do a uterine exam. Um, they'll do a sonohysterography. That's a, I'm glad you got um, that word out. Thank you. I'm impressed. It's because we're doing this in the morning and not at yeah. night. 
Um, they inject fluid through the cervix into your uterus and use an ultrasound to get pictures of the uterine cavity. So they can see like, oh, you got a fibroid here, you got this there. This would be a good place for the baby. Um, and they do a hysteroscopy, which is like a little telescope is inserted through your vagina and cervix into your uterus to also get a better look at your uterus. Um, you also want to consider how many embryos you want implanted. You might. You. It's <clears throat> That's kind of like the ethical stuff like some people i like, think a lot of ivf you get you're crossing a very ethical there's a big ethical line there just because you can doesn't mean you should right and well this is like some people are like yeah, they have well, six I embryos really, you I've, put them all in right and i've been doing it i've been trying now for six yes. years i finally have five good embryos should i just put them in and right. like hope i get one and if i get five i get five or are you okay to some people will do like fetal reduction like right they all took we're going to just leave you with two. Like, right. We're going to, they can make that decision. Three of them and keep you with two. And that's the decisions you have to make, but you, you should make those decisions before you go into right. it. Right. Um, what will you do with your extra embryos? Will you freeze them? Will you donate them? Will you discard them? You also have to make those decisions. So mm-hmm. you have to think of all of that before you start. Um, the steps of IVF. Number one, you take the meds to stimulate the ovaries um, to produce multiple eggs instead of the one. Mm-hmm. And those meds would be FSH or LH. Um, then when the follicles are ready for egg retrieval, after about 8 to 14 days, you'll take HCG to help the eggs mature. On the day of egg retrieval, you'll take progesterone supplements yeah. to get the lining of your uterus ready for impl- implantation. It takes one to two weeks of ovarian stimulation before eggs are ready to be retrieved. To make sure eggs are ready, the doctor will perform a vaginal ultrasound and blood test to check your hormone levels. Um, <clears throat> sometimes IVF cycles have to be canceled because either there's an inadequate number of follicles developing, mm-hmm. um, premature ovulation, ovarian hyperstimulation mm-hmm. syndrome. You can't do it when they have that and other medical issues. So you might get to that point where you're, the, you're like, you okay, I'm going to get the retrieval and you can't. Um, then second will be the egg retrieval. It can be done 34 to 36 hours after the final injection and before ovulation. You will be sedated. Um, a transvaginal ultrasound is used to visualize the follicles. Then a thin needle is inserted through the vagina up to the follicles to retrieve the eggs. It takes about 20 minutes. You may experience cramping after. Healthy and mature eggs are mixed with sperm to hopefully create embryos. Three. Sperm retrieval. <laughs> now, this is a really tricky part. Which we've discussed. It's, the dirty um, chair with the dirty magazine. Yeah, either masturbation or <laughs> testicular aspiration. Yeah. So you can't... I think the you know they usually just masturbate. But you can do a testicular yes, aspiration. which is uncomfortable too, I think. I bet. Um, number four. That, that was their one step, by the way. That was just <laughs> they the one get thing one. they had to do. Men, it's easy for the men. Yeah. Um, number four is fertilization. There are two methods. There's conventional insemination... So they mix the healthy eggs with healthy washed sperm. They wash it again. <laughs> wash it and concentrate. Yep. Concentrate, boys. And then they incubate it overnight. Or they... God, they so do. they give them a date. They get to hang out for a while. Yeah, get to know dish, each other. Get to know each other. Talk to her. Get to know her likes mm-hmm. and dislikes. Or you can do intracytoplasmic sperm. Intracytoplasmic sperm injection. That's used when sperm quality or number is a problem or previous IVS... IVF attempts failed. They literally take a sperm and inject it into the egg. <laughs> like it's one in one. You're going. It's yeah. like, it's, what if this that movie was it? 16 Candles where they shove him into the school dance and they shut the doors behind him oh, and the parents yeah. are on the other side. It's the same thing. You're yeah. going in. That's it. You're done. <laughs> so that's what that is. They take one egg, one sperm and put it in one egg and incubate that. And then the fifth step is embryo transfer. It's done in the doctor's office about two to five days after retrieval. Procedure is usually painless. The doctor inserts a long, thin, flexible catheter into your vagina and your cervix up into your uterus. A syringe with the embryo or embryos in a small amount of fluid is attached to the end of the catheter, and the doctor plung- pushes the plunger on the syringe and shoots the embryos through the tube into the uterus. It's like a water slide. <laughs> yeah. They're up there. And you're in. Yeah. And number six, the last step is after the procedure, you resume normal activity. Typical side effects are passing a small amount of clear or bloody fluid after procedure, breast tenderness, and that's because of the increased estrogen level, 
Um, mild bloating, cramping, constipation. They're messing around down there. You know, they, <laughs> you always get a problem with your bowels and people are messing around down there. Um, and the results um, are 12 days to two weeks after the egg retrieval, the doctor will give you a pregnancy test. If positive, you'll go see an OBGYN like any other pregnancy. Mm-hmm. If negative, you stop taking progesterone, you get your period in a week, and, and then you can start again. over. <clears throat> the chances of success depend on your maternal age, mm-hmm. the embryo status. The more developed embryos are associated with higher pregnancy rates. Um, reproductive history. If you've had other kids before, mm-hmm. or it's more of a chance that you'll have one. The cause of infertility. Lifestyle factors. Smoking causes fewer eggs and higher rates of miscarriage and lowers the chance of success by 50%. Wow. Yeah. I didn't uh, think it was 50%. I know. Obesity, alcohol, drugs, and excessive caffeine use also um, lower the chance of success. Well, there you go. That's it. And that's IVF. Well, Laura, we're going to just talk about somebody where I feel it's a perfect example of just because you can doesn't mean you should. So we're talking September 10th, 2019. Arunati Manganyama in India. Mm-hmm. She was 74 years old no. when she gave birth through IVF. No. She and her husband were outcasts in their village because um, they had never had children. I mm-hmm. guess like you don't have a kid, you're, you're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So they had never had children. They had tried for 55 years to have children. She used donor eggs and her husband's sperm. So it's really still, I mean... I'm not trying to be anything here, but you're using somebody else's eggs. You might as well have adopted a child because it's still not your biological child. I guess it's the husband. It's the husband's biological child. He could have had sperm with anybody else then in the village Mm -hmm. and given you the baby. I don't know if I would have put myself through this at 74 years old. So she gets pregnant with twins at 74 years old. The babies were a healthy weighing at 4.4 pounds, 4 ounces. But it's an ethical question because the doctor's like, well, it's her fundamental fundamental right to have a baby. Yes, it is her fundamental right to have a mm-hmm. baby. Naturally. Mm-hmm. It's not your fundamental right because how is... She's 74 years old. Yeah. These, she'll probably be dead before they're 10. Yeah. That's... Who's going to take care of these babies mm-hmm. when she dies and her husband dies? Mm-hmm. There's, there's no other children to raise them. Right. It's like, wow. I was kind of shocked by that. That's 74 old. years old. That's... That's old. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge risk to her. Mm-hmm. It's a huge risk to the babies. Mm-hmm. I swear sometimes they do this just to see how old of a mother they're going to get. Yeah. You know, and how, how far they can go. So that brings us on mm-hmm. to surrogacy. Mm-hmm. So if you've tried IVF, you tried IUI, mm-hmm. you try the natural way, for whatever reason you cannot carry a child, you move on to surrogacy. Mm-hmm. People who have used surrogacy, Kim Kardashian said, I think, all but one child through surrogacy, hasn't she? She carry any of them? I think she no, carried she, one. One or two. And then you have Sarah Jessica Parker. She has uh, children through surrogacy. Neil Patrick Harris and Jimmy Fallon have all had children through surrogacy. So the reasons... I didn't realize Jimmy Fallon. I didn't either. The reasons you would choose surrogacy. Health issues preventing you from getting pregnant. Recurring miscarriages. Same-sex couples. Or single people who want biologic children but mm-hmm. cannot carry. I don't... I guess. All right. So the, you have two types of surrogacy. You have a gestational carrier. That is an individual or a couple using an egg that is not theirs. The egg could come from an intended mother or a donor. And the same can go from the sperm. So the mother could donate her eggs because she can't actually carry them. So mm-hmm. I could donate my eggs to Laura. Laura's going to carry the child. Or I could use a donor egg. Mm-hmm. In the same where I could use my husband's sperm. And it's our biological child just being carried by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, or we literally are just using sperm and egg from other people. And somebody else is carrying it. Um, so this pregnancy is achieved through IVF as well. Traditional donor is the surrogate donates her egg. So I want a child and Laura's giving me her egg, but she's using my husband's sperm to carry that egg. And again, you would do this with um, an IUI. A gestational carrier is more desirable because when you do the traditional surrogacy route and Mm -hmm. it's your biologic egg, you still have legal rights to that child. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a complicated legal issue on the other end. Um, and it's also emotional because you may decide in the end, oh my God, I really want this baby and screw you. I don't care. It's your husband's sperm. I'm using, yeah. I'm keeping this baby. So 
Surrogates can be found through SEEDS, SEEDS, which is the Society for Ethics in Egg Donation and Surrogacy, which can help you find an egg, uh, a re uh, reputable agency in your area. Criteria for a surrogate. You have to be between the ages of 21 and 45 years old. I'm not surrogate. You can be that old? You can be that old. I don't want to be a surrogate at 45. Though if I was dirt poor, I might think about it. Because they get paid a lot of fucking money to do this. Yeah. Uh, they have to have delivered at least one pregnancy without complications to term, but less than five vaginal births or two C-sections. So you can't. Ha you have to have yeah. at least one baby, but you can't have too many babies. Yeah. They have to have a healthy home style and a safe one, so they can't be abused at home or things like that. They are screened for everything, including STDs. So intended parents also need to be screened. They need to provide a complete health history. They need physicals to make sure that they can do IVF, mm -hmm. and they're screened for infectious, infectious diseases and tested for genetic disorders. Um, when I worked at the IVF clinic, a lot of the reason like men are sterile is because they carry a genetic disease mm -hmm. that's not meant to be passed on. Mm -hmm. So you got to be careful and make sure like that's not the reason you're right. not having because you don't want to pass on Huntington's disease right. to a child or some horrible illness. So how they make it happen. So if you're a gestational character, you choose your surrogate, you create a legal document, you go through egg retrieval and create embryos and with dad sperm. Then you implant the embryos into the sur surrogate and when the child is born, the parents obtain full legal custody as outlined in the contract. Mm -hmm. If you are traditional, you choose a surrogate, you create a legal document, you inseminate the mother, you follow the pregnancy. When the child is born... The surrogate needs to legally terminate parental rights of the child. Mm -hmm. And then the intended parents may need to complete a step-parent adoption in addition to a legal um, contract. So, I, again, I ask, if you're going to go through all this, why wouldn't you adopt a child that's already here? Now, I know that's hard and maybe they want it to look like them. I don't know. But I just feel like there's so many babies out there that I could know. be adopted. Though, I feel the United States makes adoption very difficult. I don't think it's very easy. I don't think it's very easy. No. It's probably just as, as expensive. So surrogacy can cost between ninety dollars and $100,000. $130,000. All right. So you get $60,000 for an experienced surrogate. And you get bonuses. You get 5000 for twins, 10000 for triplets, and $3,000 extra if you need a C-section. 10000 for triplets. Wow. I'm going to need that for the plastic surgery to put my fucking stomach back together. You may also have to pay surrogates a monthly allowance, lost wages, health insurance, legal fees in additional, and the legal fees can be an additional eight to $11,000 on top of the 130000 you already pounded out. Oh my God. And I'll tell you what, you don't think the Kardashian's surrogate is treated like a goddamn queen? Oh, yeah. I'll bet you got a hell of a lot more than that. Um, it's a different option but one needs to consider many problems that can arise so you have to think of the legal issues the emotional issues mm -hmm. all the other stuff so while i was doing all my research mm -hmm. on advanced maternal age i came across something i had never heard of but my kids had heard of from tiktok okay. and it fucking horrified me okay. and then i started i was like i went in those rabbit holes yeah have you ever heard of a lithopedian also known as a stone baby no. Right. Your face was like mine. I was like, a stone baby? What the fuck's a stone baby? I gotta look mean? at this. Well, let me tell you what a stone baby is. Okay. It occurs when a fetus dies in an abdominal pregnancy. When Laura was talking about the topic, it's a so your fallopian tubes have holes at the end, so the egg can go out the wrong end mm -hmm. and implant in like your intestines mm -hmm. or on your spleen or something, which it's not viable because it's never going to have the blood supply right. it needs. It's not the traditional way. So what happens is if it's too large to be reabsorbed by the body, as any other foreign body in your, your mm -hmm. body, your body will capsulate it mm -hmm. and it calcifies around the embryo of the fetus mm -hmm. and it creates... A stone baby so that you don't get infected from it oh. it can occur anywhere from 14 weeks to full term oh god oh god laura i was it's so fucking disturbing so a diagnosis often happens when the patient comes in for something else they've come in i'm having abdominal pain oh that's because you have a 10 pound stone baby in your belly oh. um and you can still become pregnant and deliver other children after this 
because this baby's not in your uterus. Right. So in 2013, Huang Yuen was the longest known carrier of a stone baby. Oh, I don't want to know how long. She was told in 1948 that she had lost a pregnancy, but she couldn't afford to have it removed. So in 2013, 65 years later, she went in and they finally removed her stone baby. In Bogota, Colombia, a woman went in for GI issues and a 40-year-old stone baby was discovered in her uterus. I mean, in her belly. Belly. Estella Melendez, 90 years old. She fell and she went in for an x-ray and a four-pound stone baby was found. (laughs) She had carried it for 50 years and it took up most of her abdomen. Oh my God. But she didn't have it removed because of her advanced maternal age of 90. Yeah. I mean, might as well leave it now. When I had... tell you there was three pages of Stone cases babies. of women who Why had... Why is that on TikTok? I don't know, but I was like, Cameron, because Cameron loves all this weird shit. So I'm like, Cameron, you hear a Stone Baby? He's like, yeah, I heard about a Stone Baby. Blah, 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 blah. And I found it on Google. So I'm like... Why, why would you find that? Yeah, and I think Vienna said, I saw it on TikTok. I'm like, Stone Babies? You find... <laughs> disturbing yeah stone stone babies maybe that's my problem carrying a stone baby that's why i'm a little overweight um so that concludes mother's day happy mother's day we do have um an email here Mm -hmm. laura do you want to read it and which one do you want to read so we got two we're going to spread them up between episodes Mm -hmm. so we are getting more emails and i love that we're getting them what happens is we record two to three episodes at a time so your email may have come in after we've recorded. So it may be a while before we read it out loud. Mm-hmm. So be patient. If you don't hear it within a week of you having sent it in, it might be a month later because we've already recorded. Yeah. So we got two this week. Um, I'll read Melanie's. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Um, this is from Melanie. It says, hey, I've just recently found your podcast. So I started at the beginning and I love it. Thank you, Melanie. And I love you too. <laughs> um, I'm 43 and just got accepted into nursing oh, school. Good for you, girl. She's advanced maternal age for nursing school. <laughs> <clears throat> because at 23, I decided to marry a guy in the Navy and go see the world. Oh, uh, well, awesome. that's actually way more yeah. fun than nursing school. So good for you. I started listening to podcasts on my way to class, and I'm so happy I found you because I really want the behind the scenes information that formal education isn't going to give me. No. No. Probably not bring this up to any trainers you have. (laughs) So many times I find myself relating to the stories in your podcast, like the time my niece caught a firework in her neck. They said if it had been... Jesus Christ. (laughs) They said if it had been just a bit to the left, it would have hit her carotid and she would have been... And she would have bled out. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I feel silly messaging now, especially since so much time has passed since the podcast was released. This morning I listened to Summer in the 80s and it took me back. There wasn't one part I couldn't relate to. Like scalding yourself on the slides. (laughs) I even had the ridiculous blisters one summer because no one used sunscreen on us back then. And Nicole, I totally remember the arid extra dry Thank you very much. I still sing jingles from the 80s. Because they were were just so darn catchy. My fave is the incredible edible egg. The incredible edible egg. You don't remember that one either? The guys would, they'd be like, the incredible edible egg. And they'd hold the egg up. No. Oh my God. There's so many. I And they pop into my head at random times and then I sing them at work and everybody's 12 years old so mm-hmm. nobody knows what I'm talking about. Like Arid Extra Try. The main reason I'm writing is because I've heard you talk about Laura's allergies and living on Benadryl. And I wanted to ask if if you've ever heard of mast cell activation disease. Um, sorry. Mast cell activation disorder slash syndrome. I was diagnosed this year after suffering from weird allergies for the last <laughs> 10 plus years. So does Laura. Yeah. Supposedly it's really rare, but I meet people all the time who have it. It seems like people suffering from long COVID are also developing MCAT or MCAS. It seems like it is being triggered in part by the virus and the resulting cytokine storms. I can never remember that word. I know. When I was talking about the Spanish flu, that's what was happening to everybody. They were going into these cytokine storms. Um. I don't know all the details, but MCAT is usually activated by some crazy event. Mine was three pregnancies back to back and being married to a guy with a stressful job. Um, bomb tech. So I read this to my husband who was in the Navy. He's like, oh, he's a blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I guess. He thinks it's a pretty cool job, yeah. FYI. Um, I think I had MCAT before that, but it was mild and only showed up when I was super stressed. Based on some of the things she said, I have to wonder if that's what she suffers from as well. 
I was going to suggest maybe doing a podcast on it. I don't know. Maybe it's not podcast material, but maybe it will resonate with her struggles. Anyway, I love you both. Love the podcast and can't wait to see what's next. Keep Yay, up the good work, thank Melanie. You. Thank you. I'm, I think I'm going to do a podcast I was on actually it. thinking that on the way over, we could kick the summer series off with allergies. Yeah. And like anaphylactic reactions to allergies, weird shit people are allergic to. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking that could be a good summer, um, summer, yeah, summer dealio. Episode. Sounds um, good. Maybe that's what's wrong with me. Yeah, so I'll read the next one on the next episode. Okay. Thanks, Melanie. Nice Thank you, Melanie. Here. We love that you love our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, feel free to shoot us how you find our podcast, because I'd like to know, are you hearing it from friends? Do yeah. people find us on Spotify? Are you just scrolling and all of a sudden we pop up? Like, mm-hmm. are they popping up? Which, mm-hmm. we forgot to mention, we now belong to a new network. Oh, so you might have heard our little intro, our yeah. little fancy intro on the last I episode. Know. We are now members of the Everyday Heroes Podcast mm-hmm. Network. Fancy us. Obviously. Okay. Um, it's a great network. This guy started it, and it's a place for police and fire and EMTs and military to tell their stories. Uh, we're really proud to be members of yeah. it. Um, I was telling Laura, I said, I, I don't know how much we belong because, like, they're they're very serious. They're talking topics of, like, PTSD in the workplace and mm-hmm the struggles the police are going through mm-hmm. and their episodes are like, you know, uh, trauma here and this and that. I said, and this scissors and scrubs, bloody nipples. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how well we fit in with them, but whatever. <laughs> We're glad to be members of the group. Yeah. Um, feel free to check out the network. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it'll grow and I don't know, maybe they'll take it on the road and I'll finally yeah. get my live shows. Maybe. All right. So happy mother's day. Give your mom a big hug and a kiss. Make sure she gets more than flowers. Don't make her work. Don't make her cook. Don't make her do anything. On mother's day. Let her sleep. Let her sleep. And maybe give her a little time alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will catch you next couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. Like subscribe, rate and review the scissors and scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at scissors and scrubs and email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.